Episode 36, the Photon Podcast. When the cat's away, the mice play. All about D-Star coming up. So it is episode 36. Welcome into the Photon Podcast, found online at photonpodcast.com. My name's Kale, and I'm your host. Hey, uh, I had a catastrophic Dale die the other day, or a dying Dale, or whatever you want to call it. My computer crashed completely. I lost everything, emails, logins. Uh, yeah, yeah, I should have backed it up. There you go. I just said it out loud. Matter of fact, the song that's playing right now, I had to buy that again because it was on the PC that died. Now, uh, some ham buddies are working to get that rolling, and maybe they'll get it fixed. We'll get it back up, and I can pull some stuff off. But until then, it's me and you, but uh, not this entire episode. Because coming up in just a few minutes, Jeremy and George are here. Kel's had a crazy week here in the upstate of South Carolina. It's been, it's been kind of wild for my for the entire state of South Carolina. And on behalf of the citizens here, thank you for your prayers and your thoughts as we continue to recover through this horrific flooding that we had, especially points south of me. It was, it was really rainy, and, and we had a lot of water here in the upstate. But from Columbia, uh, south and south and east of those points down around the state capital has been really tough and really feel for those folks. Uh, the, the folks there in the EOC in Columbia are doing a fine job with the South Carolina Heart uh, Link Repeater System. And the call there is Kilo 4 EMD. Got a nice net been running for a few days, and the folks are doing a great job. Uh, amateurs have really stepped up in this instance, and it's been nice to listen to those folks as they work to recover inside their area of operations. Now, like I said on the front end, I'm out of town this week, so Jeremy and George are going to come in here and talk about D-Star. Now, i got to give you a heads up. This thing is like almost an hour and 45 minutes long. Uh, the first segment's right about 45 minutes. The second segment's about an hour. But there's so much information covered here. If you have any desire to learn about D-Star, or if you know someone who's interested in learning about D-Star, this is the show you want to share with them. So make sure you pass that along. All right, George and Jeremy up in just a few minutes. And really, thank you two for doing this for me while I was out of town. Really appreciate you guys stepping up and taking care of the audience here on the Photon Podcast. They'll be back in just a sec. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by Kenwood USA's TS-480. It's an HF and 6-meter transceiver with a built-in tuner. It also works all modes at 100 watts. Tailor-made for DXing, the TS-480 transceiver raises the bar on portable ops, and it's on sale now at mtcradio.com. Grab your new TS-480 SAT from mtcradio.com. All right, thank you, Kale. Folks, this is Jeremy KF7IJZ, and things are a little bit different this time because Kale's not here. And with Kale gone, we have an opportunity to play a little bit. Joined, uh, joining me today is George, KJ6VU, and uh, we're in charge, George. Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's like mom and dad are gone on vacation and they left us at home alone. <laughs> it is. What, what could possibly go wrong with that scenario? <laughs> I hope we don't crash the podcast. Um, so... This week, things are, are going to be, uh, we're finally going to be addressing a topic that I think people have wanted to hear for a very long time. There just was never really a good reason, uh, or a good opportunity, rather, to, to do it. And that topic is 
digital radio in the sense of things like D-Star and System Fusion. But specifically, uh, George, recently you did a presentation for your club, right, about D-Star? Yeah, we did a couple of training sessions uh, for our D-Star repeater here in the Bay Area. Okay, and because we had that and it was fresh on George's mind, um, he has a background with D-Star, I have a background with D-Star, we thought this would be a great time to finally do a, uh, a digital voice show. Um, so George, why don't, uh, why don't we start by giving kind of an overview of what digital radio, digital voice, digital data is? Sure. Um, in my mind, when I think about D-Star, Fusion, DMR, any of these, uh, these digital modes, in their most simplest form, it's it's just like using a conventional FM simplex or repeaters, except the voice is coded digitally and transmitted digitally through a modem chip in the radio and then decoded at the other end, and then the audio is recovered. And for the most part, what you can do with any analog FM radio, you could do with one of these uh, digital mode radios. Uh, the big advantage, of course, is that... Once the audio is coded, you could transmit it through a repeater or across the internet or across a data link of some kind, and that audio will stay in the state that it was in when it was digitized. So it'll have excellent uh, reproduction. Uh, the fidelity will be good. Um, and of course, being a data stream, you can also add other features too. And, and what are some of the other features that, that we typically see in addition to just the digital voice? Uh, one of the most common things is is sending data along with or instead of your audio. So in, in the conventional FM world, if you wanted to send a small amount of data, let's say like an email message, you could use uh, conventional packet radio, which is essentially a modem hooked up to your radio and your computer, and you can send messages. Most of these digital modes have have that kind of small message capability. You can transmit your GPS location uh, or emails or text messages and the like. So it's it, you know it's really handy. It kind of blends voice and these um, slow data modes together. Okay, and uh, what I find interesting about this is, uh, and the reason why I think this episode is going to be a little important is. When I got started back in 2009, I remember I would have conversations with people such as, should I get an APRS radio or a D-Star radio? And those two things are completely different. Um, and I hope that today we're going to kind of clear up some misconceptions. And there are a lot of misconceptions, some of which have always been misconceptions, um, some that used to be true but are no longer true, so therefore they continue on uh, as misconceptions. George, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background with D-Star? What, what's your experience with it? I got into D-Star about five years ago, and before that, I really didn't have any particular interest in it. Uh, I've been building repeater systems for many, many years and operating repeater systems, uh, regular FM repeaters. And uh, D-Star really came along uh, around 2000, but it wasn't until about oh, about 2010 um, that I, I, I got interested in it. And the reason was a friend of mine, uh, Rich, KC6OBJ, who was into D-Star, dropped by my house and he brought with him his D-Star handheld and a little netbook computer, and a little plastic box called a DVAP. And a DVAP stands for Digital Voice Access Point. And this is a little 10-milliwatt radio that has a USB cable that plugs into this little netbook. And with that setup, 
you can talk from your radio to the computer and into the internet and point that connection at any one of thousands of repeaters and reflectors and, and other users all over the world. And that really resonated with me because uh, I do a fair bit of travel uh, for work. Taking radio with you is, is nice, but you always have to figure out how to program everything. But if you can take your own access to your own radio network, well, that was pretty exciting. So I, I kind of jumped in with both feet, got a D-Star radio, and uh, Rich and I uh, put together our own repeater for our Baynet Repeater Club. So we built uh, our own D-Star repeater. We didn't buy an ICOM um, repeater because they're very expensive at the time. So we got two Motorola radios and a modem and a computer and a fella from the UK wrote the software that we installed and we built our own D-Star repeater, got it on the network and it worked great. We ran that for about four years and then about a year ago we had a, a good deal, a good opportunity to buy a, a D-Star repeater, an ICOM D-Star repeater. So we bought that and, and uh, put that in the system. So um, that works really great. So we've, we've been running a D-Star repeater now for about five years. Wonderful. Um, my experience is quite a bit different. I, uh, when I was first licensed in 2009 at the Puyallup Ham Fest, the, um, some friends of mine that were hams were very active in D-Star. And out in the Pacific Northwest, um, you have an insane uh, amount of D-Star activity. Uh, primarily because uh, I guess ICOM is there, but then there are, there's um, one club out there that very early had gone to D-Star only repeaters. Um, but I wasn't really that interested because back then the radios were quite a bit more expensive than a normal um, analog radio. Um, if you weren't near a D-Star repeater at the time, things like the DVAP didn't exist yet. So, you know, you were kind of limited in what you could do. Um, but then when I moved to Washington, D.C., the uh, Alexandria Radio Club, W4HFH, ran a full-stack D-Star uh, system, meaning uh, a 1.2 gigahertz voice machine, a 1.2 gigahertz data machine, um, a 70-centimeter uh, unit, and a 2-meter unit, um, and a ham, Marshall KI4MWP, uh, was our local D-Star admin, and he uh, was one of my two Elmers uh, who taught me everything I knew about it, but... I was there, I had, you know, a little bit of extra money and was willing to play around with new things. And so I thought, sure, everybody else in the club has a D-Star radio, uh, so I'll go buy one. And I did. I bought, uh, back then, I think it was an IC-92D. Uh, it was a little ICOM handheld, which was actually quite a very good um, dual-band handheld, you know, in its own right, ignoring even the D-Star part. Uh, but, you know, I used it and started getting familiar with the internet linking, starting being able to talk to different people, different specific uh, repeaters, different reflectors. Um, but my interest in D-Star really skyrocketed, both when I got access to a DVAP, but then when I learned that I could build my own hotspots uh, out of a Raspberry Pi to get onto the network, like you mentioned. Um, and that's where D-Star kind of became like a little amateur hacker's dream. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a big change um, o over the last five years or so, which really went from what you initially experienced, which was an all icon fixed kind of a, a system, which worked well. But there's so many people making add-ons and, and new, new capabilities uh, to customize and build your own little repeater, if you will, 
it, it's, it's really quite exciting. Now, to that point, folks, I do want to say that, of course, we are going to focus on D-Star in this episode, um, and we're going to talk about the merits. But overall, especially at this time with the whole digital voice, digital data technology still kind of being newer, um, it's been slow adoption rates, I, I think it's important to keep an open mind. And so briefly, George, let's give a quick overview as far as what does the landscape look like in 2015 as far as digital radio modes that I can get in an HT or a mobile? So right now there's there's four that you'll tend to hear about. Uh, and they are quickly a D-Star, the Yesu System Fusion system, DMR, uh, which is also known by uh, the Motorola brand name Moto Turbo, and P25. And P25 really came out of the public safety world uh, and you do find a little bit of it, but it's it's the, probably the least widely used. So, um, so really, the first three are are kind of the hot ones right now: D Star Fusion and, and DMR. Okay, and part of the reason that we picked D Star to kind of dig in first is that for from a commercially available perspective. Um, it is probably safe to say from an amateur's perspective, it's, it's the one that's been around the longest. It's the most established and probably has the highest adoption rate in an amateur perspective. Would you agree? Uh, definitely. I, I, I think right now D-Star is the most mature and it's the most ham friendly. Uh, when we did our training class, one of the, the first questions everybody has is, well, which one of these things should I use and should I wait until there's just one? And we're going to be waiting a long time for that to happen. So then the question is, if I want to get in, well, which one should I pick? And, you know, frankly, it's like it's like almost any other radio buying decision that you make. Every different radio, every different system has pros and cons, and they're a little bit different. So if you know, for example, all your buddies are on System Fusion or all your buddies are on DMR, then you might want to go that way because that's where the crowd is that you want to talk to. But if you really don't have a reason to pick one, you just want to start somewhere, I would definitely go with, with uh, D-Star. That's my, my particular preference. And the, the reason is very simple. It boils down to this. It's, it's the most mature, meaning it's got the most features and number of devices out there that you could pick from. And secondly, it's designed for amateur radio use. So the use model is very friendly to the kind of things that we hams do. You can go to HRO or AES or wherever and buy a radio. You can program it from the keyboard. You can buy software from RT systems to program it. So it's very ham friendly. So I think currently it's probably the the safe bet. And I I don't necessarily uh, disagree with that. I will say... um and of course we'll get into this a little bit more. I really wanted to bring this point up for folks because the the unfortunate thing is, is that everybody has to have their own version of this. And of course there's no interoperability. Um, DMR is an, I I guess officially, I don't know if it's technically an open standard or not. Uh, P25 is a publicly owned standard. Um, so there, you know, anybody could have done that. Uh, D star itself is actually an open standard, which is one of the, uh, the misconceptions we'll address a little bit later. Um, but it is a shame right now that I can't buy a single radio that can do all of these different things. And I know there are some companies that are trying to do that, but so just to be clear, folks, we will likely have follow-up shows, uh, in the future to deep dive on DMR and system fusion when we have folks that are, can speak very intelligently on those. But today we're just going to focus on D star. So George kind of, uh, 
I guess let's let's get the introduction that uh, that you shared with your club. Okay, sure. Uh, let me uh, make one more point on on the the topic of the different uh, systems briefly. By the way, DMR is is an industry standard uh, based uh, protocol. So Motorola really drove it. But there's many, many vendors that make DMR-compatible radios. Connect Systems, Hytera, there's a lot of folks out there. Uh, but it's, they're not very ham-friendly. It's, it's, um, uh, it's more it's most designed for commercial users. So uh, you kind of have the baggage of, of kind of a commercial user. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that in this, in this show, as you mentioned, Jeremy, we're going to talk D-Star um, and I personally like D-Star a ton and, and, and very bullish about it and, and want to promote it. Um, having said that, our repeater club also has a fusion repeater. We have a Yesu repeater. We've been running it for over a year. Um, it works well. It's not as mature as, as D-Star. Uh, we're still waiting for some stuff to come from Yesu on the software, but we're going to have it connected to the internet and it's going to work great, I'm sure. Uh, but we don't have a DMR system. I've got a lot of buddies who do, but we're not currently running DMR. So uh, uh, just want to kind of sort of set the record straight that, that they're all interesting in their own right, but we're going to focus more on uh, D-Star here. No, they they are. Uh, they are a little bit different, but at the end of the day, like we said, they all kind of do the same thing, and that's they 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 take a signal, either a data signal or your voice, they turn it into data, and then they modulate it over the air where it is decoded further downstream. So with that, let's, uh, let's kind of deep dive into D-Star. So uh, let's, let's define what D-Star is. So D-Star started out as an open standard, and that standard was developed by the JARL. So the JARL, the Japan Amateur Radio League, uh, is just like the ARRL, but for Japan, obviously. So the JARL initiated the idea of D-Star, and they went to the various manufacturers in Japan and, and offered it up and said, would like you guys to consider making equipment that's compatible with this new digital standard. Um, the only company for many years that took them up on that offer was ICOM. So the, the big um, misconception is that D-Star is an ICOM product only, and that D-Star is proprietary to ICOM. And both of those uh, are not true. So anybody could make a D-Star compatible radio. Um, you and I could go start Jeremy and George's radio company. We can build our own D-Star radio and be compatible with the network. So it just so happens that ICOM is the only amateur brand that's actually done that. Well, that's just as a point of technicality, Kenwood did manufacture a D-Star compatible radio, but in Japan only, and it was only one model. Yeah, and I think they've they've gone away from that, even in Japan. So they've kind of backed away, and I don't believe they currently offer an amateur digital. They have their own commercial digital two-way, but not in the amateur world. Well, uh, you know, at Dayton, two years ago, Kenwood hinted that they would be releasing uh, NXDN-based amateur gear, which is another digital standard, which just shrinks the number of people that I can talk to even further. But I digress. Yeah, and that's that's their commercial side. And it, my guess is they probably won't. Um, there are two companies that have talked about having D-Star capability. And one is Flex Radio, by the way. Uh, Flex is now um, shipping a dongle. It's a little USB thing you plug into your computer that turns your flex radio into a D-Star compatible radio. So that's available now, as I understand it. 
the other company that's been talking about this for some time is uh, Connect Systems, CSI. And they make uh, VHF, UHF uh, handheld radios, and I don't know if they make mobiles or not, but they've been talking about having a multi-protocol, uh, multi-system handheld, which they have not shipped yet. Um, now, I, you know, kind of in this introduction, it's, it wasn't just the ICOM connection, though, that people have the misconception about D-Star not being an open standard. People also have the misconception because there is one current proprietary component in D-Star. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it, it, that's right. The, and that is the codec. The codec is the chip inside the radio that takes your analog voice that comes off the microphone and then converts it into a digital signal. And that digital conversion is more complicated than just digitizing the signal and putting out bits. There's a lot of very clever algorithmic software, if you will, or implemented in hardware that not only digitizes that audio but compresses it um, in a very efficient manner. So for the D-Star radios, they chose to use a codec, a coder-decoder chip from a company called DVSI, which stands for Digital Voice Systems, Inc., I believe. And DVSI is probably one of the world's leading companies that does this sort of thing. So they make uh, these compression chips that are used in satellite phones and other applications where you have a voice channel and you want to compress the signal in the fewest number of bits so you can get the data rate as, as slow as possible and still have reasonable quality audio. And the reason that you want to have as few bits as possible is because the fewer the bits, the less bandwidth you take up. So you can imagine if you're talking to a satellite, you want to use as little bandwidth as possible to accommodate as many channels of users as you can. And in the amateur world for D-Star, they want it to go very narrow band. And then the D-Star, uh, the spectral mask, if you will, the bandwidth of that signal is half the bandwidth of a conventional FM transmitter. So it's very spectrally efficient. So anyway, these chips that do that coding are from DVSI. So early on, there was a big flap about this because people would say, this is amateur radio and it should be open and we shouldn't have any proprietary stuff and all that. And it's, it's kind of a silly argument in my mind because you, know, you and I making our first D-Star radio, we can go to DVSI and buy that chip for $20. So we can buy them all day long. They'd be happy to make them. So it's really not a big deal in my mind. Now, you know, you could say, well, shouldn't the codec be open sourced? Perhaps. But at the time, there was no good open source efficient low speed codec that would do that job. So they went with what was commercially good off the shelf. Today, if we were starting DSTAR from scratch, would we use the DVSI chips or something else? I think that's debatable. Uh, there's a good chance it would still be a DVSI chip. So that was really the root of this kind of strange argument that, oh, it's proprietary because it uses this one vendor's chip for 20 bucks. Now, what, what's also interesting about this point is that that same vendor, their chips are used in all of the digital radios. They're used in DMR. They're used in P25. They're used in System Fusion. And granted, they're different versions of the chips. Um, because, for instance, System Fusion is twice the bandwidth as D-Star, so they, they can have a little bit nicer audio quality. But 
that's one of the things that's most interesting is that that same, uh, you know, vocoder decoder chip is the same chip across all the different standards. And what's really hilarious to me is, is that when D star was the only digital mode around, there are a lot of people that would carp about this proprietary thing, which was silly in any way. Ever since fusion has taken off and DMR has taken off, I personally have not heard a soul complain (laughs) about this chip being quote proprietary. So it's, you know, I guess hams will complain about anything if you give them enough time. So, you know, D star has been around for what? 14, 15 years now. Yeah. Surprisingly. And I, I think overall, um, you know, we keep hearing, I know I go to the D star forum at Dayton every year and every year they keep saying this has been a red letter year in D star, uh, adoption and the, the rate continues to accelerate. Um, about, you know, do we have any sense of how many folks are active D star users these days? Well, it's, it's hard to know exactly how many active, but you, you do know how many people have uh, D-Star radios because when you get into D-Star, you register. And when you register in the D-Star network once, then your call sign is known by the whole network. And so all the statistics exist for that. So we know, for example, that about a year ago, there were almost 40,000 registered D-Star users. And I'm sure today it's 42 or 44,000 or so. So uh, in each year it grows. It's probably growing at about, um, oh, I'd say 10% per year or better. So there's pretty significant growth. And I, the bulk of that growth really happened in the last five or six years. So uh, looking at some of the stats, five years ago, um, we were looking at maybe 5,000 users and now over 40,000 users. So it's had an extremely um, strong growth. Uh, we also can track the number of repeaters. There's over 3,000 repeaters, and those repeaters have uh, over 1,000 of them have gateways into the Internet for linking. So um, so that's all known. And once you register, every time you use the network, the network also knows which system you're on. So it's possible to route to you uh, and t- do some of the advanced features. So it's it has pretty good statistics. So one thing I want to add to that. Because if you could look at a graph of this, you would see that the rate of adoption is accelerating. Um, but honestly, in between 2009, 2010, maybe a little bit before then, you start to see uh, the, the adoption rate ramp up. And one of the things I want to point out about DSTAR is ICOM's initial implementation of it wasn't really all that exciting. Sure, you could link from one repeater to another over the internet or over microwave link. But the stuff that makes D-Star really cool has come from the ham community. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I I think this is uh, exactly what has propelled it. So all these innovations like the reflectors, the the DVAPs, and we'll talk about what all that stuff means, those things were really added onto the network and were not developed by ICOM at all. They were developed by smart guys who knew how to – take the standard as published, and then enhance the network. And that was all possible because, again, it was an open standard for the system, and all of the traffic, all of the voice or the digital data was all data. And so at the end of the day, these software packages are just routing that data around. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And you can imagine once you have a digital data stream, well, the sky's the limit. It's really your imagination um, of what you can actually do with that. 
So, you know, a good segue is, that, you know, we keep talking about digital voice, digital data. Kind of talk about when I have a D-Star signal and I have a D-Star radio, what, what can I do with that? Well, basically, a D-Star radio will do everything uh, that a conventional FM radio will do plus. So with a conventional radio or a D-Star radio, you can talk radio-to-radio simplex, and there's nothing involved. It's just two radios. You pick a simplex channel, and you talk back and forth. The only difference is one is analog, and the D-Star radio will be digitally coded. And by the way, if you listen to that D-Star digital signal with your FM radio – it just sounds like noise. So as you would imagine, it's modem tones going so fast, it sounds like noise. So the second thing you could do, just like conventional FM, you could talk through a repeater. So I could um, put my radio on a repeater channel. It's got a D-star repeater. I go into the repeater. It repeats my signal. Everybody else can hear me. So that's identical to using a conventional FM repeater. Now, at this point, it's where this is where the D-star network starts to um, really give you more power. And that is and when how we, do you link? Sorry to interrupt. And when we talk about the D-Star network, we're talking about how D-Star starts to interact with the internet, correct? Um, yes, normally. I mean, it is possible to do it on a private data network too, but really nobody does that. It's all pretty much done through the internet. Meaning once I've got this uh, digital signal going to my repeater, if I add a computer to my repeater, now I have a portal into the internet. Because at that point, my my voice traffic has been coded and is now in a TCP/IP data stream. So that TCP/IP network data could either go into the public internet, or you could even put it on a private data link between two sites. Uh, but mostly, people link through the internet. So in addition to simplex and talking through repeaters, you could um, you could point your D-Star repeater to what's called a reflector. And a reflector is identical to what in the analog world uh, we can use with systems like the IRLP system or Echolink or AllStar. Those are three examples of analog uh, voice over IP systems where you can send your analog audio digitized, send it to a server somewhere in the world that takes your signal and repeats it to as many other stations as are connected to that reflector. So there's the same concept in, in D-Star. So there's a reflector, and you could hub multiple repeaters to that same reflector, and all of those repeaters are now linked together off that one hub. So in addition to uh, those modes, uh, there's a very unique capability in D-Star, which is called call sign routing. Call sign routing was one of the first things that was available in the original D-Star definition, as ICOM and the JARL defined it, call sign routing allows you to connect from one user to another user by specifying their call sign, and the radio network will figure out the best route to get to that person based on where they were heard last. There's some similar capabilities in DMR, but it's um, it, it's it's pretty useful. It's almost like making a phone call to somebody. Um, that's often used in Japan, not very often used in the U.S. from what I've seen. The reflectors are much more of a, of a common use. So those are all kind of voice connection options. Uh, there is low-speed data. Uh, every D-Star radio can run a 1,200-bit-per-second, 1200 1,200-baud 1200 data channel. 
So in the analog world, you would have a TNC um, that's a modem hooked up to your radio to send slow-speed data. With D-Star, that's built in. You don't have to buy a TNC. It's already part of the radio. Um, so that's kind of a nice feature. There's, there's position reporting, uh, what's called DPRS, digital APRS, automatic GPS positioning which could be sent along with your signal. So this is one of the reasons why D-Star is very popular for MCOM activities because when I transmit and send voice um, to the other station, I could be sending my GPS coordinates along with it at the same time. Um, I could also send text messages, email, images, and other data uh, through the same radio. So that's, that's really a very powerful set of features, especially in these disaster communications kind of situations. Yep, and in addition to that, I can use my D-Star radio to connect to a computer to do, like George said, anything I would have done with a TNC. Um, I can send data that is radio to radio um, if I had some form data I wanted to send. Um, and actually, some of the newer D-Star radios actually give me even more bandwidth for data by nixing the, the voice channel in the data stream and, and allowing us to use that for um, for all all data. Um in fact, actually, another cool thing that is starting to happen in the latest generation of D-Star devices is I can actually connect to them uh, over Bluetooth or through an on-the-go cable and control them via an Android application. That's right. So I come put out an Android app, and it lets you um, set the configuration of the radio through the tablet. It displays the status of the radio, like the signal strength, the frequency, the mode. Uh, it, it gives you a map so you can figure out where the local repeaters are and easily program the radio. It's it's quite an improvement over the old days. It is, and it also keeps a running log for every uh, digital QSO you have because I'm receiving the call sign um, of the folks who are communicating to me. I can also get a, a tally of that uh, and also understand how they got to me through the D-Star network. You know, we're, I'm talking here about the, the latest generation of ICOM radios, but at this point, there have been, I would say, what, four different generations of D-Star radios from ICOM? Yeah, three or four. And, and the early ones were really um, kind of a pain to program and use. They were really not very user-friendly, but they've really come a long way. Yeah, they, they really have. In fact, um, I'm somebody who got in. If, we're, let's, if we say there were three generations of radio, um, I got in at the tail end of the second generation. And while you could do everything you need to do uh, through the front panel, having software was almost a prerequisite uh, to make it easy to get your radio set up, just to be able to connect to uh, your repeaters, to be able to do any of your linking to other repeaters or reflectors. So, I mean, there there was a barrier of work that, that had to be done there. But the radios today are dead simple. Uh, they're much they're 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 much easier to use. I I I would still use the programming software because there's limited keyboard uh, data entry. So. Getting the programming software is is really a must, um, <laughs> I've found. But you also get more features. Since you get the programming software with the cable, you can now use that as a data port uh, to transmit your slow-speed data, so that's kind of nice. Well, uh, and actually, ICOM gives the software away for free for all, but I can't remember if it was the... I think it was the 7100 was the one where they tried to sell the software. Um, but I mean, for things like the 880 or the 51, like they give software away for free. It's not the greatest. It's not as good as RT systems, but, um, it is something. Yeah. I've, I've used the ICOM software. It, it's, it's adequate and for free, it, it does the job. Um, 
I, I think if you're looking at buying a nice new radio and you you just want to make it as easy as possible, I'd probably go with the RT, wouldn't you? Yeah, or um, although to be honest with you, I've had good luck with Chirp um, for oh, at least my point. 880. Um, but the RT systems, I, I like RT systems. It's expensive, but the reason I like it is because I can maintain a common library of frequencies and repeaters and other stuff that I can then easily move from one radio to another without having to go through a lot of headaches because they can all kind of share one database. But yeah, um, that's a good point. one of the things that is different though about a D star radio, because right now most of our listeners who have an analog uh, experience are used to just programming repeater pairs, you know, a receive and a transmit frequency. Maybe there's a PL tone. Um, you know, maybe there's an offset or something. And that's what you're used to with programming. But with D star, there's a lot of other data that we're programming in the radios beyond just the repeater information. Yeah. And that's the thing that really kind of throws people at, at first. And of course it seems complicated to start with and it's but it's not so bad um it really boils down to you have four text fields that are eight characters long which contain a call sign or or some series of characters that tells the radio um or rather the radio when you press the button the radio tells the repeater you're talking to what to do with your, your with your voice stream and we won't deep dive into that now but it's uh the four call signs people call it, and uh, it's very reminiscent. If anybody saw Demolition Man, at least I think it was Demolition Man, to the three seashells. Okay, that's that's a terrible joke. <laughs> Sorry, don't don't know. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm so, the only I'm the only one that saw that. So I I, w- I would mention, by the way, uh, also with this new crop of radios, if you put the D Star feature set aside for the moment, uh, I've been very impressed with the quality of the radios. I think they're they're excellent. The, the handheld radios are compact and, and very good performing radios, very nice audio, transmit and receive. Uh, the 5100, which is the high-end mobile radio, is a super feature-packed radio. I can't stand the LCD display, to be perfectly honest. No, it's terrible. But, uh, if, you, if you can kind of look past that, uh, the functionality of the radio is really superb. So let's let's quickly let's go through what's on the market today. If you were buying a new D Star radio, so um, from the handheld front, they still manufacture an ID thirty one A, which is a seventy centimeter only um, radio, has built in GPS, and also has the ability to upload lists you download from the internet to put all of the different reflector information in, so that it's it's very easy and turnkey to be able to switch reflectors or communicate in different ways. Um, the other option is the ID51A+, Plus, um, which is the most recent version of the ID51. Uh, it's basically a dual-band version of that, also with built-in GPS. But it has a neat idea or feature that it, there's an SD card, and you can even use the radio to record your QSOs, D-Star or Analog, which is actually an, a really awesome feature. What I like about those radios best is they have GPS receivers built into them. And if you show up in a new location, you can interrogate the radio and say, uh, take my current location and show me the local repeaters. And you can sort that by analog or digital or both. And it'll give you a list of repeaters and you just scroll down the list and you select one of those repeaters and it programs the radio. And that is a great feature. And I, I do want to be clear, that's only applicable to the ID51A Plus or the 50th Anniversary Edition. The original 51 um, did not have the analog 
the the GPS analog repeater stuff. And also, um, the one step you have to do is going to DSTAR info and downloading a list of repeater information to load into the radio. Um, if we have time at the end, I'll come back to this feature because I confronted ICOM about why do I can I only have a database of a thousand repeaters at any one time in twenty at that time twenty fourteen when I have a thirty two gig SD card why can't I load the entirety of the United States in there and their answer was really frustrating which was why would you ever need more than a thousand repeaters <laughs> maybe I'm driving across country which I have done several times. Um, but that's just such a, a short-sighted answer, but I digress. Uh, there's one other radio that you might want to also mention, uh, and that's the uh, 1.2 gigahertz radio, the ID1. Yes, the ID1 is a 1.2 gigahertz voice and data radio. And, of course, in D-Star, and this is something we've kind of glossed over, um, 1.2 gigahertz data can be the 1,200 bits per second that we talked about, but there is also a high-speed data mode that is 128 kilobit. Um, and in fact, like our repeater at, uh, in, in Alexandria was connected to the internet and I could use an ID one to get a connection out to the internet. Uh, if I needed to, we just got one of those things for our system. Uh, we haven't installed it yet, so we're going to be putting that up in the next couple months at some point. Uh, so how well did that work for you guys? Um, I mean, keep in mind, it can really only, you know, for every, it really can only serve one, you know, client at a time. I, I think technically it can re- handle uh, traffic requests from multiple radios, but of course the total bandwidth decreases for everybody. Um, the only time that I ever saw that used was in support of things like uh, the Marine Corps Marathon, which is a huge uh, ham radio support event. And it honestly, it collapsed under the load. Like early in the morning when there weren't many people there um, for the injury data uh, application that we had, there was, um, you get to it over the internet. It worked pretty good, except that it was slow. Um, but once the system got saturated, then, you know, it, it, you started having lots of, uh, lots of problems. So to me, yes, it's cool to say, Oh, I have this high speed, but I think, um, the high speed digital data is a little bit gimmicky for me personally, unless you're in like an emergency situation, you can control all the variables and maybe you're trying to work over a private network to transfer files. Then it becomes a little more useful. Yeah. That's the mode that we're, we're going to be shooting for. So the purpose for this was really in a, like a disaster situation where the, the, the phone system is out and we're supporting the red cross or the, the FEMA urban search and rescue teams that use our repeater and we want to be able to deploy a, um, a data point of presence on the ground in a flyaway case. And we actually built a 3.4 gigahertz uplink system with Ubiquiti radios to do that. And it works great, but it's very touchy uh, depending on where you are if you have really solid line of sight. And we're going to play around with the 1.2 data module to see if we can get some better uh, coverage. I think you'll, you'll still have the line of sight issue. Um, I mean, again, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's a radio that has an ethernet port on the back of it. So again, you got to love that. And it well, yeah. will, it'll also do analog 1.2, but I, I mean, it's one of those things that obviously experiment with. Um, but overall, I, I'd say we had fairly mixed results and honestly, again, to go kind of off of in a rabbit hole, but not to solve anything. Um, one of the things that people would often debate is, well, what happens when I hit Google and an ad comes across? Yes, and in that whole topic, regardless of 
with this radio or some other radio, that's that's a big question, um, and and that's something we're we're trying to figure out what our policy is, and do we have to do some kind of special firewalling or or what? Now, going back to other um, mobile radios that do D Star, the the current one uh, is the ID fifty one hundred, which is the one that has Bluetooth. Um, Great radio. Again, there's one thing I don't like about it, and it's that they took the packet port away. Mm. So even if, like, unlike the previous generation, which was the 2820, um, one of several members of my club actually had a um, a Kenwood 710 TNC head connected to the 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 packet port on the back of the 2820. I had one radio that was doing analog APRS and D Star off of the same RF deck. Um, they took away that packet port, which is frustrating, and there's not really a good way to get in through the mic cable that I have found yet. Um, they still sell the ID880, which is kind of a less expensive way to get in for a 50-watt radio. It's a single receiver. Um, it doesn't have the nice features as far as the using GPS to automatically load repeater settings and whatnot, but it is probably the most advanced of the previous generation of D-Star mobile radios. Uh, on the desktop front, there are two radios that have D-Star options for a quote-unquote base radio. One is the ICOM uh, IEC 7100, uh, which is their mobile HF radio that replaced the 7000. Um, it has D-Star capability installed, and it can also work on HF doing D-Star. And then the uh, ICOM IC9100, there is a D-Star module available as an option. Yeah, that's a really nice radio. That the ninety one hundred is a is an excellent radio. HF plus all the VHF bands. It's a very pricey radio, but it's a real nice one. So at this point, we've kind of uh, covered the a little bit of the overview of digital radio, uh, introduction to D Star, and the radios. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to start digging even deeper into race uh, D or sorry into D Star radio. Uh, this is Jeremy KF7IJZ with George KJ6VU. We'll be right back. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by the ICOM IC7100 HF plus six meters, two meters, and four forty transceiver. The IC7100 features an industry first intuitive touchscreen. Up to 100 watts out on all the bands makes operating fun and easy. The factory DSP enhances your experience, and D-Star Voice and Data can take you around the world even when the bands are not cooperating. You can find the ICOM IC7100 at mtcradio.com today. All right, we're back. I, uh, I have freshened my drink, which do, can you guess what I'm drinking? Are you drinking sweet tea? It's sweet tea crystal light, but it's, it's sweet tea with lemon crystal light. Now, the last time you drank crystal light kale gave you no end of grief. That's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> now, I, I got to be honest with you. So apparently they do make a sweet tea that's just a sweet tea version. My dad drinks that, but I haven't found it in our local uh, grocery store. So I'm drinking the lemon tea. Well, I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking iced tea here, but it's not crystal light. I'm, I'll tell you that. Well, this I wouldn't really. Okay, this is tea flavored diet water. Okay, so we kind of covered quickly some of the equipment, and uh, you know that ties really into another misconception. But this misconception is one that used to be true, 
but isn't as much anymore. And that's the pricing of the radios. There was a time when you paid a very pretty print penny for anything that had D-Star written on it. And I think ICOM learned a lesson over the years because when there's a high financial barrier to entry, their adoption rate was very slow. And of course, as soon as they dropped the, the prices of the repeaters, um, which they actually did ahead of, of System Fusion, uh, all of a sudden people are buying genuine ICOM repeaters. And of course, if more, pe- more repeaters go up, more people buy the radios. And of course, if the radios are affordable, more people buy the radios. So what are, what are we looking at these days for the modern D-Star radios? So the D-Star radios are pretty much priced about the same as the equivalent radios from the other Japanese vendors. What I mean by that is is there's really kind of two big buckets. There's there's the Icom Yesu Kenwood class of handhelds and mobile radios. And by and large, when you compare similar featured radios, they're in the same price range. If you're going to compare it to like a, a Bofang radio, they're in a completely different league. So you're, you're not going to see a $35 D-Star radio. Um, you know, you're going to see a $400 or $500 D-Star radio, but it's going to be equivalent to um, the Kenwood or the Yesu. So like, for example, if you look at the mobile radios right now, the top three mobile radios from each of the vendors, Kenwood TM D710A, the Yesu FTM 400, and the ICOM uh, ID 5100. So these radios are all essentially the same price. The Kenwood is about $640, the Yesu is about $600, and the ICOM is about $600. So you know, once you're looking at that high-end class of radio, there's really no premium uh, for the digital radios. In fact, of the three, the, the Kenwood... Uh, is the most expensive, and it and it does not have a digital voice mode. Funny thing. No, but they did just put a GPS uh, in it. Not, and, not, it and it does have the APRS modem. Yes, I'm not saying that it, it's it's worth the extra forty bucks, but they did just add a GPS to it. But you know, this is a lot different. Even a year and a half ago, when I bought my 5100, I paid seven seven or seven fifty for the 5100, and then I had to spend as a giant, you know, a black eye. I had to spend another forty or fifty bucks to buy the mounting bracket. Now they sell the quote-unquote 5100 Special Edition, which comes with a mounting bracket. Um, yeah, they learned their lesson on that one pretty quick. Yeah. Must have been that email you sent them. <laughs> it was more than an email. I, uh, <laughs> I, there were some words exchanged with Mr. Novak in a, a public forum. Yeah, I think that was just a big miss on their part. And I, I, I'm really, frankly, pleased to see that ICOM has really responded to the competitive environment. Uh, when Yesu came out with Fusion, they priced things very competitively, both the, the radios as well as the, um, uh, the repeater systems. And ICOM responded with cutting the price of the repeater systems and um, being reasonable on the pricing for the, the end user radios. So I think that, you know, they're pretty lined up now. All right, so that's that's for a top-of-the-line digital mobile radio. Um, what about for an HT? So the HT pricing is a bit more all over the map. Um, the ID51 Anniversary Edition, the 51A Plus, the latest version, um, I think those are around four... I want to say they're about $400. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, four hundred dollars. That's so. That's the top of the line ICOM HT, four hundred dollars, 
if you compare it to Yesu uh, System Fusion, uh, the ID1, which is the first digital radio they came out with, is about $310. The FT1, the ID1, the ICOM radio. Excuse me. (laughs) I got my FTs and IDs confused. Yeah, Yeah, so the Yesu FT1D, um, $310 versus ICOM $400. So that's a bit of a difference. The new Yesu system fusion radio the ft i assume 2dr yep um is about 550 so that's a 150 dollar premium over the icon now it's got a touch screen so okay it's got some other wizzy features so th- it's not quite as apples and apples to compare on the hts but in broad strokes they're probably price wise kind of you know about in the ballpark now, I, I actually do want to take a moment because, you know, for instance, like a Kenwood uh, TH6, still about 300 bucks for an analog-only radio. Um, I do want to say that, that Yesu FT1DR, just at about $300, is a really good value because that actually still has a full or a nearly full APRS implementation in addition to the uh, the digital voice. I actually have an FT1 that I bought as a D-Star radio for when I was doing like a race support and whatnot. Um, but I, I recently had the chance to use it on, to have my first fusion QSO with it. And, you know, for the money, it's, it's a really good value. Of course, it's not compatible with D star, but I just want to put that little plug in there to show that again, I'm not, uh, I'm not an ICOM Nazi. Yeah. So, so actually I'd agree with that. I, I, I think the DR one's a pretty decent little radio. I think the menuing system is way better than the older Yesus. Um, if you forget the digital mode for a moment, it's a nice radio. Uh, the battery consumption could be better. Uh, but that's you know kind of true with most of these HTs. We all wish the battery would last longer. But uh, it's a it's a very nice radio. Uh, and then you add the fact that it's also got the digital mode for that price. I think it's hard to beat, um, considering the Kenwood is about the same price and it's analog only. Much as I love the F6A, the Kenwood F6A is a great go-to analog HT. But uh, but the Ace is pretty pretty attractive. Now, I will throw out there, if you're interested in a D-Star radio and you're looking to buy a previous generation, I mentioned earlier the IC92AD. Um, actually, probably my favorite HT of all time. Uh, kind of reg- regret getting rid of it. Uh, but it was a very nice analog HT in its own right. Had D-Star built in. Um, these days, they can be had for quite a bit cheaper than this stuff. Um and uh, so, you know, if you want to weigh in, that's a good way to get into D-Star with that 92. But you will want to make sure you buy the programming software and cable for that radio. You know, the, I would agree with all that. Um, I found the 92 of that generation, the 92 AD, was probably the easiest radio with a bunch to program. Um, it's really not a bad radio to, to uh, program from the front panel. Um, easier, in my opinion, than the mobiles at the time. But, uh, yeah, you can see those. You go and used for two fifty, maybe three hundred dollars. Um, so they're you know it, it, in very good shape at that price. And they're indestructible. Ask me how I know. How do you know? Uh, it might have been dropped a time or twenty doing various <laughs> uh, like race support events or stuff. Um, well, say the belt clips weren't very good on them, obviously. <laughs> but they're well, they they're, had a, like a metal frame. I mean, they were they were a pretty uh, like you said. They're a, not a piece of plastic. They're a beefy radio. All right, and then from the from the kind of HF uh, perspective, the 
the 7100 goes for about $1,100 um, these days, 1000 to 1100 The 9100 with the D-Star option is, I think, around thirty-six to 4000 I I don't think our average listener is going to be going out and buying a 9100 for D-Star. Um, yeah, I think they, they start around the high 20s, but but like the I think the 1.2 module is optional and you could you could price yourself up into pushing 4K. Uh, but I do see those radios used from time to time at around 2K. Um, and the, the guys who are using those are either really doing a lot of uh, weak signal VHF, uh, you know, satellite work, that sort of thing. Uh, and you could add D-Star to it. Um, they also use them uh, running D-Star on HF, and you could do that on 10 meters. So there's a bit of activity there. It's a little um, niche but uh, but there's some activity. All right, so we've kind of given a pretty good overview of the radios. Um, let's kind of start talking a little bit more about the, the technology. So I think the thing that is interesting to understand is what how does the thing really work what's kind of under the hood from a user's perspective you really don't need to know the underlying technical uh bits and how it works exactly but i find it interesting so so i think you know it's worth worth talking about it a little bit um essentially when you hit the push to talk button and you transmit what you're transmitting is a digital data stream at a speed of 4,800 bits per second. So if you remember, the first modem you ever bought was probably a 300 baud or a 1,200 baud modem. Maybe, you know, maybe you're younger than that. <laughs> you I might say my, my, my first modem was a 14.4. Well, that's because you're younger than I am. So, <laughs> um, so to put it in some context, you know, we're talking like old dial-up telephone kind of data rates. Yeah, I remember... I didn't so, need an acoustic coupler. I didn't have to take the receiver off the phone and put it on the acoustic coupler to get on the internet. Well, lucky you. I did. So 4,800 bits per second when you transmit. Actually, it's not 4,800 bits per second of voice. They subdivide that into three different streams in that 4,800 bits. 1,200 bits per second is that low-speed data channel. So that's always available to send data simultaneously with the voice. The other 3,600 bits per second is the digitized voice channel. And that has two parts to it, 2,400 bits for the actual voice itself and 1,200 bits for forward error correction. So forward error correction is additional data that is calculated based on the voice. And that data is sent with the voice so that if there is an error in the data transmission, because your signal got noisy for a moment and you dropped a few bits, that forward error correction helps the receiving side insert the bits back in the data stream to recover it. If you didn't have that FEC, that forward error correction, and you took a quick fade in your signal, you would just lose part of the voice. With FEC, you can lose part of the data and still hear a perfect um, voice audio. Now, of course, if you get a very noisy signal or you go away for a long period of time, well, nothing's going to solve that. But that does make the, the voice channel much more robust. So you're really getting about 3,600 bits per second um, of voice in that channel. And by the way, that, that digital data stream occupies six and a quarter kilohertz of bandwidth. So when we think about 
a conventional FM transmitter talking on your normal repeater, we say, well, that's 5 kilohertz deviation. That signal occupies, depending on how far down the skirt you're measuring it, that signal actually occupies uh, well over 12 kilohertz, almost 16 kilohertz at a fairly high signal level. The D-star signal is half that. So it's, it's a six and a quarter uh, bandwidth uh, channel. Now that doesn't mean you can put uh, a D-star signal every six and a half kilohertz. That doesn't really work. But you can space them out every 12 and a half kilohertz and that would work pretty well. So ultimately that means that in if there were to someday be a future or where the FCC tells us we have to go narrow band, you can already increase density by moving towards D-star as a digital, um, a digital mode. And this is actually a little bit different because all P25 DMR and system fusion are all still 12 and a half. So about twice, uh, the bandwidth for this. Um, another thing that's really cool about this technology is unlike, you know, with an analog repeater as you drive away from the machine or your other station, you're talking to, uh, as the signal to noise ratio decreases, you start to fade out. Whereas with D-Star, it's, you're all, mostly either in there or either out of there. So you get nice, clear voice um, throughout. And until you get something that we call R2-D2-ing, where packets start coming in due to a low signal-to-noise ratio, and it kind of sounds like ordering through a drive through with a broken speaker. <laughs> That's right. And, and so, so you don't get that pure digital, you know, perfect and gone. You tend to go perfect for fair ways into the noise. And then you'll get that kind of garbled, sound a little bit and then you'll disappear. So that's, that's the, the technology um, kind of an overview as far as occupied bandwidth and whatnot. And again, this is still a very high level overview, believe it or not. I mean, there are really good presentations out there, which uh, including George's, which we'll link to in the show notes that get into what does a D star packet actually look like from a data perspective? What's the information that's kept in there? How's it structured, et cetera. Um, so George, let's let's kind of talk about. I know we touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but let's talk about all the different modes of use uh, that that you have from you know D Star. And of course, starting off with the analog analogs, we have you know simplex, you know two radios to one another, and working through the repeater. What else do we get uh, through D Star? And is there anything special about you know working simplex or through the repeater that you don't get with analog? Well, one thing you get that you don't get with analog is you get call sign information of the other station. So when you transmit, you press the push to talk button, your radio will transmit about 200 milliseconds of data. There's 600 bits of data that gets transmitted uh, when you first press the button, which includes your call sign and some additional data fields if you want to fill it out. So what that means is that if, let's say, I'm uh, if I key up the repeater, you'll not only hear the repeater, but you'll see on your screen my call sign. So before I say anything, you'll know who I am. So that's useful information to see. And that's carried throughout the whole network. Now, the other thing that's really um, nice about DSTAR is besides the simplex and repeater modes, you can also connect your repeater system to the internet. And if you do that, you can uh, connect multiple repeaters. Uh, well, you can connect two repeaters together. So I can go into, let's say, my Bay Area repeater, connect to a repeater close to you in Ohio. You could be talking to that repeater, and our two repeaters could be linked together. 
The other thing that you can do, which is very, very popular, is to use a reflector. And a reflector is a computer somewhere on the internet. It's typically a data center class machine where they have high bandwidth and, and a reliable uh, installation. And you can use that reflector essentially as a conference bridge or a hub. And you point your repeater to that hub. And typically these hubs can handle uh, dozens and dozens of connections at the same time. So you might have a reflector that has 20 repeaters all pointing at it. Anybody that goes in to their local repeater and comes out their local repeater and the audio is transmitted to the reflector, once it hits the reflector, it's transmitted to the other 19 repeaters that are also connected to that reflector. So it's a very quick and easy way to create a, a network of D-Star repeaters. And of course, those repeaters could be anywhere in the world. So that's a very, very popular mode. Currently, there's oh, well over 100 reflectors. Uh, and every reflector has multiple channels. Uh, so essentially, multiple groups can be talking at the same time on those reflectors. Now, some reflectors are really busy, and some of them are very um, quiet. So you could tune around and connect to any of those reflectors. There's nothing um, closed about the D-Star network. So once you're a registered user, you have access to any D-Star repeater and any D-Star reflector uh, anywhere in the world. So let's let's talk about uh, that because we we did really kind of gloss over that. We mentioned it earlier, but this concept of registration, you're not registering with ICOM, and you don't have to register anything to be able to talk simplex on your radio or work your local repeater like you would with an analog radio. When we talk about registering, we're talking about registering your call sign onto the D-Star network that is built by this interesting software that allows you uh, to route over the internet to other repeaters or to get to reflectors. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that, George? Yeah, so, so exactly the way you described it, uh, you don't need to register to go simplex or through a repeater, but as soon as you want a gateway into the internet, the internet uh, systems need to know that you're an authenticated uh, user, that you're a legitimate station um, every region of the world has one or more organizations that, that provide that uh, service. In the United States, uh, that's called the, uh, the, the trust server system, and it's administered by a group, I think it's W5TIT out of Texas. They're the administer, administer for the U.S. network. Uh, similarly, there would be uh, the same kind of thing in Europe. Um, and, and worldwide, these different groups associate together so it forms one big network. So if I register, let's say, in the United States, I go to the – registration, by the way, is you go to the, a website and you put in your call sign and your name and you put in a user ID and a password. Now you're going to get registered. It's that simple. Once you're registered, your call sign is published in the database of legitimate users. And that database of users is propagated around the world. So if tomorrow I fly to England and I show up in London with my HT and I find the local UK repeater, I can access that repeater and go out on the internet and connect back to my home repeater. So that, um, that registration gives me that, that worldwide internet connectivity. 
And of course that registration is free and um, we'll add a resource for this, but generally what happens you will, it's, it's best recommended that if you're a new D star user, um, if you think you're going to get into D star, go ahead and find your local D star repeater, uh, go online, find their website, and they will usually have instructions on how to register. Um, in the event that, because uh, there are some repeater operators that are a little bit slower or they don't like to manage registrations, um, there are other ways to get registered through other repeaters, but we'll we'll make sure there are links to resources for that in the show notes. And this registration process is a little odd. You You would think that everybody would go to one website and register. The way that they set it up initially was, just as you described, each repeater system would uh, would be able to register users locally. Now, being in San Jose, California, I would register on my local D-Star repeater. There's no reason why I couldn't register, let's say, on a repeater in New York. The only good reason I could really think of for not doing that is that if you ever use call sign routing, the system is going to try to figure out where you were last. And if it doesn't know where you were, it'll default to your home repeater system. So in that corner case, yeah, maybe it makes sense to logically register in your local repeater system. But there's really no other reason why that I could think of. Yeah, and unfortunately, that is, like you mentioned, it's kind of a shortcoming. I don't think they're trying to address it yet. But for instance, I registered with Alexandria and now obviously I can't hit the Alexandria machine, but you can't transfer your register from one uh, to another without a significant effort that really yields no results. Um, but I, I bring this up in, in general because uh, I have talked to a lot of frustrated hams who went out and bought that shiny new D star radio and tried to go change uh, what reflector the repeater was linked to. And they got no joy because they hadn't registered on the gateway. Um, and then in some cases, it took two days for the admin to see the request and, and follow through on it. Yeah, I think this is really um, kind of an issue because if you register as a new user with a club that's very active, the registration process from the moment you hit the button to the time that you are enabled could be as short as just a couple of hours or days, a day. Um, if the administrator of that registration site doesn't process the registrations, it could be a long time. And um, I've, I've had several people contact our club and say, hey, could you please register me because I can't get any response from my local group. And, and we've done that. So, um, you know, there's always groups that are willing to do that sort of thing that are kind of pretty active like our Baynet system is. But, uh, but you should try registering in your, in your local uh, area first. If that doesn't work, then you can register through another group like ours. All right. So, you know, we, we've kind of talked about what you can do, how you can get around, what are the types of things you can talk to. One of the things that I think is also another shock uh, for hams starting to get into D-Star are the four call signs, which we joked about earlier. Um, do we want to deep dive on that a little bit? So it's really something that uh, you want to have explained in detail Um live and in person and really uh, kind of too much detail for right here, right now. But, you know, we can give kind of a quick overview. At least people are familiar that there are four call signs. That's right. So when you configure your radio to use it in a D-Star network, uh, there's four char- there's four text fields that have to be programmed in your radio. And it's these four text fields that get transmitted every time you press the PTT button. 
So in that first couple hundred milliseconds, when you press the push to talk button, four fields of eight ASCII characters each get transmitted. Now these four fields tell the network who you are and what you want to do. Those four fields have odd names, and I wouldn't get too hung up on the names, but the first field is called the UR field, or your field, which is, by the way, not your call sign. Number two is called the RPT1 field. Number three is called the RPT2 field. Number four is called the my call sign field. So let's make it simple. We'll go in reverse order. So the last of the four fields, that's where you program your call sign. So in my radio, I put KJ6VU in that field, and I will never change it. So really, there's only three fields that I'll ever change. Now, the UR field, the first one, tells the repeater you're talking to what the action is that that repeater should take. This is the equivalent of sending a DTMF sequence on an analog repeater. So in an analog repeater, if you want to turn something on or off, you send it a sequence of DTMF commands, uh, tones. In, in the D-Star radio, there's no DTMF tones normally. And the command to the control system, if you will, is that first UR field. Um, that's where you put a string that says, connect me to this remote repeater, or connect me to this reflector, or disconnect from that reflector. That's where you put uh, those commands, and that's the field that gets changed the most often. The second field, which is called repeater one, that's the field where you put the call sign of the repeater that you're talking into. Now, the reason you do that, it's kind of like a PL tone, if you, if you think about it for a moment. What if in this area we had two repeaters that I could get into on the same frequency? How would, I, how would they know which one I'm talking to? Well, that second field has the call sign of the repeater I'm going to talk to. So locally, we put WW6BAY in that field, and it knows that it's the bayonet repeater that I'm talking to. And every other repeater, if there was a repeater on that frequency, will ignore it. The third field, called RPT2, this field is what you populate if you want to send your signal out on the internet. So think about it this way. If we're just talking locally, let's say you and I are here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're talking back and forth through the Baynet repeater. I would leave that RPT2 field blank, typically, because um, I'm just going in and out of the repeater. If I put the call sign of the repeater in that field with the letter G at the end that says gateway, that computer knows not only do I repeat the audio out the repeater, but I send it into the internet to whatever remote node I'm attached to, send my audio that way. So I know that sounds a little complicated. It's really not that bad. Uh, for the most part, when you're using the local repeater, you'll change the UR field to tell it what node to connect to or disconnect from. And the other three you leave alone. You set them kind of one time and forget it. The only time you'll ever change those is if you change repeaters. So it sounds a little complicated. It's really not that bad uh, once you, once you kind of walk through it. But this is where having the computer software is really handy. Now what we normally do uh, is we recommend that you program your memory channels with this stuff already in it. So you type it in once and then it's in a memory channel and you're done. And uh, what a lot of people will do is is have preset in memory commands to the local repeater that say, for instance, connect me to reflector 1C. 
disconnect me. Connect me to repeater W6XYZ. Disconnect me. And those will be different memory channels in your radio, all on the same RF frequency, talking to your repeater. But changing channels will change the different sets of characters that are transmitted when you press the button. So hopefully that doesn't sound too terribly complicated. Well, I, and I, it does sound complicated. I mean, because that's <laughs> sorry about that. No, it's not your fault. I mean, it's, um, you know, like you said, it's a topic that makes a lot more, you know, sense visually. And, um, you know, if you're in a classroom setting, you can quickly demonstrate what these things do. And I know when I was new to D star, this was something that was a little overwhelming. Um, <clears throat> this is actually one of the things that while those four call sign fields are still very prevalent, and how D-Star operates. It's one thing that I think ICOM has done a very good job um, for the new D-Star operator with the new radios to be able to manage um, rather than having to create 72 different memories uh, to interact with the same repeater to get on different reflectors and whatnot. So if I remember correctly, I think the guy who does um, the amateur video news uh, Guy Pierce is his name. Do you remember his call sign? No, I don't. Uh, I think he did a video that explains the four call signs and how to set them and what they mean. And if I'll, I'll try to dig that up and include it. Um, if not, I'm sure uh, we'll, you know, if we can, we'll try to post your, your presentation, which kind of goes into it uh, in depth. Yeah, I think once you see it, it, it becomes pretty um, straightforward. I mean, it's really not that bad. Uh, but you know, you just have to, you know, consider how how would you on a digital radio? How would you tell the repeater system which repeater am I talking to, who I am, and what I, what I want you to do with my signal? And it, it, once you understand what goes in those four fields, then that's exactly what the purpose of all that is. It's to route your signal around, and it's pretty straightforward. So at this point. Let's kind of recap. We've given an overview of the state of digital radio from a DVDD perspective. We've uh, deep dived into D-Star as far as what it is, um, kind of ICOM's baby in the United States, but not a closed system. We've gone in and talked about the features of the radios, what those look like. We've deep dived on the actual uh, signal characteristics. Um, we've kind of talked about these four call signs. So... What else do we want to talk about? You know, th this is all the basic stuff. I mean, it's all the core uh, D-Star things. I think we should spend a few minutes talking about some of the really cool things that are um, available to you to buy or build that's beyond the basic repeater system, like uh, like DVAPs and and things like that. Which this is actually my, my favorite part, because let's, um, let's pretend that you're a ham and which I, is probably a pretty good assumption if you're listening to us right now. And let's say you're interested in D-Star, but even a $400 radio is, is too expensive for something to play around with. Um, the first thing that's out there for you as somebody who wants to experience D-Star but doesn't want to make a huge investment is something called the DV Dongle. Uh, the DV Dongle is a USB peripheral that is basically a sound card for your computer that has... Uh, basically this AMBI chip in it, the, or sorry, the DVSI chip, the, which is an AMBI uh, codec, uh, inside of it. You plug a headset into the other side, and then it gives you the software to be able to connect to different reflectors 
uh, on the D-Star network, which gives you a way to be able to talk on D-Star without having to have a radio. Is it, George, have you ever actually played with one of these things? Yeah, I've got one of these things, and I uh, it works well. I've played around with it a little bit. I, I find for my own personal use, um, I'd rather use a DVAP. I'd rather use the, the over-the-air uh, kind of connection. Uh, but, but like you said, for, for the minimum amount of money, this is, this is kind of a quick way to get into it. And, and they work really well. The, the experience of using this DV dongle is like using Echolink on your laptop. So you have your headset, you got your computer, you're on the internet, there's no radio involved. This is exactly the same notion, but it's got that one missing element, which is that codec chip that's unique. That's built into this board, like you said, Jeremy. So it's it's all the radio without the radio. That's right. It's and all my, the non-radio. <laughs> so moving up from there as far as cool add-ons is the, I would say the DVAP would be the next thing to cover. Yeah, the DVAP is the thing that really pushed me over the edge. That was the one thing that really got me excited about D-Star. Up to that point, yeah, interesting, maybe. But when I saw the DVAP, that just, I thought this was the greatest thing. Um, and the DVAP is a very simple idea. It's a little plastic box, about one by three by a half an inch. And it's got a USB jack on one side, and it's got a little RF connector on the other side. And it's a 10 milliwatt little uh, transceiver. Or uh, It's not a repeater. It's really just a transceiver. And the original way you use this thing was you plug the USB thing into your laptop and you run a little piece of software. And, and once you launch that software and connect to this little box, you would then go from your radio to this little box and all of the commands that you would program in your radio to direct your signal on the D-Star network to a normal repeater, you use exactly the same commands but to this little hotspot. So it basically is a little it's, – it's, think about um, if you were taking your Wi-Fi access point with you, but this is your ham radio access point. So DVAP, digital voice access point, is what it stands for. And what's so exciting to me is, is if, let's say if I'm traveling, I'll take this little box with me and I'll get to the hotel. I'll plug it in, take out my HT, and now I have the complete D-Star network at my disposal. I can talk – to my friends back home, I could talk to any of the reflectors. Um, I, I've got that network access with perfect digital audio, and it's it's just incredibly compelling. Now, by the way, the DVAP is a product by one company. Since then, um, there have been other people who've come out with essentially the same idea. There's a, an outfit in Europe that makes well, a product called the DV Mega, which hold, is very similar. Hold on before we jump to that, because I do have one question. Um, yeah. So the guy who, who created these things is Robin Cutshaw, which is AC4 something something, I think. Um, Robin's a great guy to talk to if you go to Dayton. He's usually in the main hall. Really bright guy. But one of the things that I thought was announced, I'm just I'm asking for personal reasons. We talked about all the things you can connect to DVAP too, but one of the things I really wanted to see was being able to connect it to an Android tablet through an on-the-go cable. And I know he was working on something like that. Do you know if that ever materialized? I have not seen that. Uh, currently, the DVAP is supported on Windows, Mac. I don't know if it's Linux also. I suspect it is. Well, um, I, I know like you and I both have them working on our Raspberry Pis. 
Um, and I actually could have sworn that Robin released like an official pie image for the DVAP, but, uh, I digress. Yes, go. I, I haven't seen that. Um, so, so, so this, and this is a really uh, important, uh, exciting point, which is, which is um, being able to plug this thing into a Raspberry Pi. I, I think that is just brilliant because now instead of um, using a computer, you've got a little Raspberry the size of a deck of cards. You plug that thing into the USB port and you jack into the internet and you boot it up, and it's just an appliance. It just boots up and runs. Um, and it, it works so well. I have one here at the house. I just leave it on all the time. So yep. when I want to get on D-Star, if the repeater's busy, I just switch channels to my DVAP um, on the Raspberry Pi, and I could point my little node to any place in the world. And that's that's the first uh, the first hotspot I built as well was a DVAP uh, running off of a Raspberry Pi. And now this is, you know, this is a graduate level D-Star course because there's a lot of software stuff you have to understand. Fortunately, most of the hard work has been done for you by other folks in the uh, community. Excuse me, but these packages are maintained and this entire community around D-Star uh, infrastructure development lives in Yahoo groups. Yeah, and there's a super um, helpful groups out there. And I would add, by the way, for setting up the Raspberry, it's not like you have to install drivers and compile the kernel and do crazy things. Uh, you you can go to a website and download a pre-configured image to burn onto an SD card. You plug it in, you boot it up, and it automatically runs the software. And all you really need to do is go in and configure it. you got to put in your call sign and some other configuration parameters on a graphic user interface – and once you do that, in about five minutes, you're sort of done. And your little Raspberry access point appliance just works. So this is this is really funny and kind of talks about the state of how quickly the things have moved forward. I first built a Raspberry Pi hotspot based on the original B, not the B+. Mm. And I had to get all the packages. They, somebody had compiled like IRC, DDB, and all the PC repeater controller software and all that. Um but I still had to install everything manually, had to configure everything manually. And the hotspot that I have that run, works with my Raspberry, I'm sorry, with my DVAP is still that original uh, Raspberry Pi. Like I've never even done an apt-get update on the thing because it just works. So it's right. good It's good to know that somebody actually makes an image that I can download. You turn it on and you just configure the options. Yeah, now, there's multiple, well, hang on so one quick second. So there's multiple groups that have done that. And um, in fact, um, the, there's a group in the UK called Western D-Star. So just Google Western D-Star and uh, you'll find that they have pre-compiled images uh, not only for the new latest Raspberry Pi, but also for the older one as well. Well, that's good to know. Now, you also mentioned the DV Mega, which is basically a DVAP that is made to fit directly on top of a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, that's right. So same same functionality, a little bit cheaper. Um, I've heard a lot of guys on the air with them. They they seem to work just great. Now the problem with the DV Mega, the, or sorry, the nice thing about the DVAP is I can walk into HRO or most of the big name uh, radio dealers, or even easily order online. But the DV Mega comes from Europe, I think. Correct? Yeah, I think they're in the Netherlands. Although actually, I just did a quick Google and I see Gigaparts lists a bundle with a Raspberry Pi and a DV Mega. So maybe they're importing them. Yeah, um, that's their distributor in the U.S. Okay. 
I wonder if they sell just a DV Mega because I've been interested. But um, the last time I bought a D Star peripheral from Europe, it was the DV Repeater con- uh, version two, and it was a giant waste. I might as well have taken four hundred dollars and set it on fire. <laughs> that's that's another story. Sorry. No, it's that. it's okay. It was Z Germans. <laughs> So, so these uh, these hotspots are are just so super useful. Uh, there's guys who take these things, and it's only ten milliwatts. It, it, and you'd be surprised what kind of range you can get with ten milliwatts. So, you, you know, line of sight, you can you can work all over the neighborhood. Um, I've I've even put one in a portable case. So, what what was very uh, useful for me uh, was on a long road trip. I had to drive down to, uh, to central. California with, uh, to uh, San Luis Obispo from the Bay Area. It's about three hours. So I have to drive down there and drive back occasionally. So that's six hours on the road. And rather than fiddling with my um, regular FM repeater stuff, I put the first put the DVAP and my laptop in the car and plugged my cell phone modem into the laptop. And I had uh, D-Star connectivity the whole way. And uh, now, now you could say, well, wait a minute. This is ham radio, like RF, only from the mobile radio to the trunk of the car <laughs> where the DVAP is. The rest is on the cell network. Well, that's true, but it does give me a way to connect into the network. You know, I, an Elmer of mine, Craig K4GOR, who I'm pretty sure will never hear this, it's sad to me because he looks at all this and he's like, none of this is ham radio. But to me, the thing that is so wonderful about this is that it's the epitome of ham radio because we're now talking about things we're building ourselves. Yes. And and by the way, it, it's maybe your end of it is the DVAP, and and people might say that. But at the other end, the guy could be at home with his D-Star radio talking across town to a repeater. And what's not ham radio about that? So to that point, we, we've kind of talked about these units. And from a block level – the things like the DVAP have built into them, they're basically an RF interface, a radio, connected to a modem, which is capable of de- uh, decoding the modulated signal from your radio and turning it into data to send it to the computer, and software takes it over from there. The next class of devices, which these were what really got me excited um, and actually are part of the cool of one of the neater things that I built for D-Star, are GMSK modems, which we glossed over earlier. GMSK is the modulation scheme um, that D-Star is transmitted over. So instead of being strictly frequency modulation or uh, things like that, it's... um, Do you remember what GMSK stands for? It's Gaussian something. Gaussian minimum shift keying. Okay. Um, But you can buy these hotspot boards, and that's what they're generally called, D-Star hotspot modems or boards, And what they have on them is they consist of a six-pin DIN packet port that connects to any FM radio that has a 9K6 packet port. So, I mean, literally any radio that is capable of 9,600 bits per second communication out of its packet port plugs into this board. There is a chip um, that is responsible for the GMSK decoding. And then there's an interface into a computer. And depending on what board you get, sometimes it's USB, sometimes it's raw serial. There are some of these boards that plug directly into the GPIO pins on a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino. But the cool thing about this is these boards let you take any radio 
literally any radio you have with a 9K6 packet port, plug it into there, and then turn that radio into a high-powered D-Star front end, basically building a simplex repeater that is internet-linked, which I'm guessing you have some experience with that, George? Um, Yeah, I played with with building one of these uh, early on, and um, then we eventually wound up putting the real repeater on the hilltop, and then I kind of went the other direction for my local hotspot with the DVAP. So this is really like a, a, a DVAP on steroids. It's exactly the same behavior as a DVAP. The difference is that it uses a big, like you said, big high power radio and a modem, uh, a bigger modem board, and runs software that's you know on, on a computer. Now the um, the step up from that, which another another name for these also, if you were to Google Node Adapter, D Star Node Adapter, D Star Hotspot, but there's another class of these devices that are still the Node Adapter, but then they make add-on boards. <clears throat> with the DVSI codec. So it has that Ambi chip on it. Mm. And what's really cool is one of the boards I have, which is the DV repeater, DVRPTRV1. Um, I'll make sure to include a link to Bruce's website, uh, which I haven't spoken to him in a while, but he makes one of these things and did a limited run of the Ambi boards, that which basically give me a Yaesu-compatible mic connector. And with this device... And a little bit of software, I can turn any radio into a standalone D-Star radio. That's pretty slick. I mean, th- this is the sort of thing that's exciting to me to see. How, what you know, what could you attach onto that network? I mean, that's that's pretty cool that you could do it yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, in this particular case, um, I had the DV repeater board. Uh, I had the one downfall of all this is that you either need to leave it connected to a computer so you can change like what, um, what reflector you're linking to or what repeater you're linking to, or you can obviously program the box and it will remember your settings. So if you only need to be able to talk to one, it's fine. But I was able to connect that to my, um, my Kenwood 710, plug a microphone into it and have a D star QSO through a Kenwood radio without being computer assisted. That's very slick. And if you do that, now you've, you put this on an outside antenna at home, and now you probably have several miles of range around your house. Um, my friend Cameron, who used to be K6CLM, um, no, he just got a, uh, a one by 2 and I can't remember it. It's, I'm, it still has CM in it somewhere. So Cameron, I think you listen, so apologies. Uh, Cameron was my other Elmer in uh, D-Star, and he was the one responsible for teaching me about hotspots and how to build this. But um, he lived down on um, Fort Belvoir, south of Alexandria, and he built a fill-in D-Star hotspot, which filled in a significant gap on I-95 that would allow you to get into the Capital Region D-Star network. Because the D-Star coverage over there runs pretty much from Baltimore down to Virginia Beach. Um, with a few gaps in the middle. And so he was able to put in a fill in hotspot, uh, out there that he ran from his house that added enough coverage to fill you in, which was awesome. So I think, uh, going back to the top level, of this whole thing, some people might say, well, I live in uh, a place where there's no D star repeater. So I guess it's not for me. And, And I think that, um, that either buying one of the, um, the DV Megas or the or the the DVAP or one of these modem boards and plugging it into a radio, you can become your own 
um, it's not really a repeater, but your own network access point. So you can certainly enjoy the whole D-Star network from home or whatever the range is you get on this hotspot without the, the big cost and expense of a repeater. And you don't have to worry about uh, the fact there isn't one in your area. And the nice thing about it is, too, you don't have to use the latest and greatest. In fact, um, Motorola, what is it, GM300s, mm-hmm. I think are incredibly popular radios to use for this because they're bulletproof um, from a being able to transmit and have a, have a high-duty cycle. Um, but you don't need a fancy radio to act as the RF run-in for these things. And honestly, you're not out a ton of money to build something, and it's something that you can experiment with. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the you know that we're talking about uh, a radio that you can buy all day long for a hundred bucks on eBay, um, and, and if you shop around, you can get a better deal. So these could be twenty-five to forty watt uh, commercial radios. You want to blow some air on them to keep them cool, but yeah, those those would make really fine notes because you really don't need the frequency you know channel frequency agility of a fancier ham radio. You really just want to park this on a frequency and leave it there. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that helps make this accessible for folks who otherwise would not be able to participate. Um, now again, I, I was joking about Z Germans earlier, but, uh, there was a project out of Germany that is the DVRPTR um, that's gone through several generations. Their first design, the version one, uh, was completely open source. And, uh, Bruce that I mentioned earlier in Canada started reselling them after they had moved on to versions two and three. But they sold an appliance that basically was a complete standalone D-Star server. You could leave it connected to a computer to program it, or it had a little OLED screen and a five-way joystick, so you could set all the call signs and whatnot. But it has a microphone port because it has the the vocoder on board, so you could plug it into any RF deck and have a D-Star radio. Um, there was a device out of Brazil that did the same thing, one out of Poland. So a lot of people have done a lot of really great experimentation to build even custom devices. Now, granted, I mean, they're all, some of them are really difficult to get your hands on, but, um, there's a ton of stuff out there people have done with D-Star. And unfortunately, this is one area we have no information on what the future is going to hold in terms of system fusion. I mean, DMR, it's, it is what it is. I don't think there's a lot of hacking that, that goes on with it. But fusion, since it is going to be Yesu controlled, the network is going to be owned by Yesu. Um, and the fact that the internet linking of system fusion isn't really mature yet, I don't know what kind of uh, hacking opportunities or open opportunities that we'll have with system fusion. Yeah, we, we really don't know. Um, I, I think for Fusion to be competitive, they're going to have to have the same capability uh, that D-Star has. So the whole idea of hotspots, um, the ability to essentially build your own gear, uh, sooner or later they have to allow that sort of thing, I would imagine, because otherwise they would not be in a competitive position. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I think there are some guys also trying to do that with DMR. There is some open DMR um, uh, work that's going on, but I don't know how how far that's gone. Well, and as as we kind of uh, wind down here, the last thing I think that we should talk about with DStar is uh, a, a free, free, uh, excuse me a piece of free software called DRATS. Yeah, DRATS is an awesome application. Um, DRATS is available for free. You can download it. It runs on Windows. I believe uh, there's a Mac. Maybe there's a, a Linux client, too. Yeah, and, I, I uh, Have you tried it? 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I want to say that it was, eh, don't quote me on this, but I thought it was a Java app. And so it'll run on everything. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, running Java or not, or if it's an applet. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it, it's a, it's a very powerful tool. Originally it was built by some folks, I believe up in Washington state to do emergency communications. Um, now you could say, well, to, to, to take advantage of the data channel on a D-Star radio, I could just use a um, any kind of program. I could have a dumb terminal program. I could have a mail program running on that channel. Why do I need a separate program? The idea with DRATS was to combine a lot of those features into one piece of software and make it D-Star friendly and um, – have the ability to do the forms that you mentioned early on. So in, in uh, emergency communications applications, there's standardized forms uh, that are followed. Did you guys use any of that in the MCOM work you did? No, they, they didn't. Um, not, not in DC, like not with my club. Um, like I said, the, the club in Washington, and I really, I really wish I could remember their call sign because I think the guy who wrote DRAS was a member of that club. Um, they did everything with it, and uh, I, I have seen some other clubs do everything with it. I think Georgia, if I remember correctly, their entire statewide emergency management amateur group is all standardized on D-Star, and they rely heavily on D-Rats. So D-Rats um, is, and that's D-R-A-T-S, it allows you to do everything from keyboard to keyboard communication and typing. Um, if you're connected to an internet enabled laptop, there are chat servers on the internet you can connect to, um, for keyboard to keyboard typing. Uh, it has a lot of built in functionality to make communication efficient. So while it can transfer files or pictures, um, it can also cache maps so that if you're in a specific area of operations, you can download the maps to the application and it will just draw your people as it hears things. Um, and then for kind of the emergency management forms, like all of the uh, ICD 700s and all that stuff, um, rather than transmitting a PDF every time, they have the forms built into the application so you can fill them and file them. And then it's just transmitting the form field data as opposed to the entire form itself. So it's much more efficient. Much more efficient. Um, I'm just reading it because there's a lot of stuff on here I've never even played with. Like there's a Winlink 2000 gateway. Um, it can do automatic message forwarding. It can do kind of like uh, all calls to groups. Um, it's network linkable over the internet to other stations like across wide distances. And it, it does list itself as multi-platform. I don't know if it's uh, Java or not, but it's available for Linux, Windows, and Mac. Um but it's a it's a cool little application that allows you to do quite a bit with the, the data channel on your radio. And, and all that comes for free when you buy your D-Star radio because that facility is built in. You just need a cable. So once you have the cable and plug it into your computer, now you can run DRATs. Yeah, and the cool thing about the radios are there's nothing fancy. If you, if you connect them uh, via serial and you match the baud rate and you send a character, it automatically – the radio knows to automatically key and send that character. Um, so like, like, uh, like George said, everything's built in. Now, the only thing that does stink about, um, D rats is I don't think it has been maintained in a very long time. The last release looks like January of 2013. 
Yeah, the original developer, I think, moved on, and another group have, have taken it over. So I don't know what the plan is to enhance it or not. Um, I think it, it pretty much does what they wanted it to do. So I don't know that there's necessarily a big list of things that, that are you know on the to-do list. Uh, but uh, anyway, quite, quite capable. And it looks like it's, it's Python, not Java. Oh, okay. Which makes it even cooler. Um, by the way, when I started playing with it, uh, I, I was up and running on chat uh, in, in seconds. Um, I tried sending an email to uh, Rich, KC6OBJ. It, off it went. He checked later on, and there was the email. Um, I got on the chat server. I asked for a couple of questions as a newbie, and the guys in the chat server were super helpful um, and uh, used the file transfer function to to copy some documentation to me um, over the radio. And it was very eye-opening. I mean, it you know, it's one thing to kind of read the feature set and like, oh, yeah, I guess that's great. But when you actually sit down and use it and it works, it's it's pretty fun. I mean, it's it, even if you're not doing it for MCOM, just to have that capability for any kind of, you know, public event or, you know, even just text chatting, if you want to do text, text chat over the air. All right, well... I think we have covered pretty much everything on the D-Star front. Not in depth, but I, I think we've hit everything with a good shotgun blast. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's still listening. Well, well, we'll leave here. If you send an email to me with the word pumpkin in it at kf7ijz at gmail.com, then I'll know you were listening at this point. There you go. Now, what are they going to get if they listen? A friendly thank you for listening. <laughs> That's very generous. Look, I we if you listen to the the podcasting day episode, I mean, we've already arranged some incredible deals for our listeners. So, um, a a a, a hearty thank you should suffice. There you go. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, for hosting the episode. This is really fun. Oh, it was. Yeah, I uh, I love these kind of just get together and talks. Um, and we've, uh, folks, we've we've had a lot of other uh, topic ideas as well, and so we're we continue to be excited of uh, the upcoming month. So, um, like I said, I, I think we're we're gonna make uh, take a take some diligence and and try to get some folks on who are system fusion experts and DMR experts, uh, so that you guys have complete information. But given that DSAR is the most established, we decided to start there. Um, George, anything you want to to follow up with or, or leave us with? I think I would just say uh, there's really no reason to jump in and, and really uh, have a good time. I don't think you could you could make a uh, a bad choice by going down the D star path, and which is not to say the others aren't good too. Um, I listen on the reflectors, uh, in particular on Reflector One C, which is the international reflector uh, out of the UK, and there's a ton of traffic on that reflector, and every day people are on there um, just excited as can be. Uh, uh, talking about how wonderful it is to be on D Star. So, if the best the, the best motivation for getting into this is just to kind of join in and and um, you know I think you really enjoy it a ton. I would agree with that. I think the the only thing I would leave our listeners with is a point that again we forgot to mention in the beginning is that the clarity is there. It's communications clarity. It's not FM you know line of sight two hundred feet away clear. It's not full spectrum audio voice audio. Um, 
it you can definitely tell it is digitized but when there's a good signal to noise ratio um it is 100% readable and you can tell who the person is like i've never had a trouble hearing somebody on D-Star and not really being able to tell who they were, even though it is a very narrow uh, vocal spectrum bandwidth um, mode. But uh, George, thanks so much. You bet, Jeremy. It's been a real uh, pleasure. I appreciate it. It has. And now now there's another radio that Kale can complain about not having. <laughs> if only the KX3 had D-Star. Well, if you, I'm, you know, for those with the two meter module in the KX3... I'm, I'm sure there's there's you know there's a serial port on that radio. I'm sure we could figure something out. <laughs> well, perhaps. Thanks a lot. Seventy threes. All right, seventy three folks. Not a lot to say other than thank you very very much to George and Jeremy, my buddies who have uh, just really become a big part of this program, and that's evidenced by how they can run it when I'm not in the way. So. <laughs> There's uh, there's the smart guys on the show, and we hope that you've enjoyed the program. We hope that you'll share it with your friends. Like I said, if you know anybody interested in D-Star, if they're wanting to learn more or you want to try to maybe uh, bring it to your area, this may be something you want to share with your club. Just hit the share button on the bottom, and it'll uh, it'll take it to all your Facebook, Twitter, Google+, etc. fans. And we hope that you will do that in hopes of spreading the message of the Other Ham Radio Podcast. It's faux time. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. We'll do it all over again. And again, a big monster thanks to George and Jeremy. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Have them being here with you. And again, thank you to Main Trading Company for making the podcast happen. The best podcast sponsor in the country. Make sure you go check them out at mtcradio.com. I'm going to roll out, though, guys. I'm going to continue to dry off up here in the upstate and hope that you all, all have a great week. And we'll catch you next time. 73, y'all. God bless.